Hey, welcome to Table Flippers Podcast, Ministry of Greater Worship Christian Church in Lancaster, California. I am your host, Apostle Robert Enos. This is where we talk about the issue the church faces and how the church should respond to those issues. Here we will talk about doctrine, theology, politics, social and cultural issues, and how the church is to deal with these things. So get ready for a large dose of truth and get ready for the tables to be flipped. Here at Table Flippers, table flipping is what we do. Welcome again to the Table Flippers Podcast, where we deal with many of the issues that unfortunately the modern church does not want to deal with. I am focusing today on chapter 8 of my book, Time for Transition, and the title of this chapter is Kings in Training. The anointing and powering of God did not leave Saul because he had sinned. The anointing and power to function as king left Saul when David was chosen and anointed by Samuel. This is something we need to keep in mind. When the anointing leaves, it is not because we sinned, but because someone else has taken our place. Sometimes it is not because we sin that we lose the anointing, but because we refuse to overcome sin and get busy doing what God has given us. This principle is seen in the stories of the talents and the minas. In Matthew 25, verse 14, we read, Then he who had received one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. Matthew 25, verse 28 and 29, So take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given and he will have an abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. When we will not use what God has given us, or we do not use it correctly, we will lose it to someone that will use it as it is supposed to be used. The Spirit of the Lord left Saul because he refused to be obedient to the Lord by using the anointing and power in a manner that was inconsistent with the will of God for the position of a king. Saul used his position as king and thus the anointing as king for his purposes and pleasure. He did not use what God had given him to be obedient to the will of God, but used it as he saw fit. The stories of the talents and the minas should be a wake-up call for every church leader. Join these stories with the story of Saul and we can clearly see that we must be busy doing exactly what God anointed and empowered us. Saul should have acted like a God-fearing king instead of a people-pleasing puppet. Church leaders should act like they actually love God with all their heart and being, then lead from that place. We must actually love God with everything. When I say act, I am not talking about acting as if on the stage, but actually living it out in a real way. It must become part of who we are. 1 Samuel 16, verses 15 through 23. And Saul's servant said to him, Surely a distressing spirit from the Lord is troubling you. Let our master now command your servants who are before you to seek out a man who is a skillful player on the harp, and it shall be that he will play it with his hand when the distressing spirit from God is upon you, and you shall be well. So Saul said to his servants, Provide me now a man who can play well and bring him to me. Then one of the servants answered and said, Look, I have seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who is skillful in playing, a mighty man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, and a handsome person, and the Lord is with him. Therefore Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, Send me your son David, 
who was with the sheep. And Jesse took a donkey loaded with bread, a skin of wine, and a young goat, and sent them by his son David to Saul. So David came to Saul and stood before him, and he loved him greatly, and he became his armor-bearer. Then Saul sent to Jesse, saying, Please let David stand before me, for he has found favor in my sight. And so it was, whenever the Spirit from God was upon Saul, that David would take a harp and play it with his hand. Then Saul would become refreshed and well, and the distressing spirit would depart from him. God has a strange way of preparing us for the call that he has for us. David was the anointed king, but the extent of his training was a shepherd of sheep. God provided a means for David to be close to the king in the king's palace so he could know how to make the transition from shepherd to king. David learned a great deal about leadership from leading sheep in the field, but now he needed to know how to properly lead people from the throne. God asks us this question. Who has despised the day of small things? Zechariah 4.10 This question is posed in a way as to get us to think and ponder the greater truths it highlights. The answer, I believe, is the fool despises the day of small things. We are to learn from everything in our life, including those times that it seems as if nothing of value is happening. Several years ago, I worked in a secular job that I absolutely hated. I knew I was called into ministry and always felt as if the job was beneath me and standing in my way of my true calling. Every day was torture as I left for work because I was sure I was created for greater things. I was employed in this job for 12 years, and each year felt like a decade. I never appreciated this job or my position as I should have. In a strange way, I was eventually able to go into full-time ministry and plant a church. I never had to go back to outside work for over 15 years. I never had to physically go back, but emotionally and spiritually I had to return. I had to go back to my previous bosses and repent for my bad attitude and poor work ethic while employed with them. Why? Because God dealt with me and showed me that this secular job was my training ground. God put me in place to teach me how to work with and relate to those types of people that I was to minister to. I could have turned my 12-year stay into a 3-year stay if my attitude had been better. If I had only gleaned What I needed to learn, God would have had to keep me in the job so long. I could have been in the fullness of my calling much sooner. Looking back at this secular job and the work I did, I now realize that it was a great job and I had the opportunity to do great ministry in that place. I did my best to be a good example of what a Christian was supposed to be, for the most part. But had my heart and head been in the game, I would have made a much greater impact much quicker than I did. There should have been more fruit for my labors had my heart been right. My story, unfortunately, is not an isolated one. Many have gone through similar struggles while trying to work into the position they know deep down they were created for instead of working from the anointing and position they are already in. The truth be told, if my heart were right, I would have been content with the pulpit that God had given me amongst the people I was working with for 40 hours each week. God gave me a congregation to lead and minister to, but all I could see was that I was not in a church among people that said amen to everything I said. My heart was not right, so it took me 12 years to make a three-year impact. For me, the transition was made only after I learned what I needed to learn, and what took me 12 years to learn, I should have learned in three. Oh, did I mention that it took me 12 years to make a three-year impact? Always remember... 
We were designed to be full of the Spirit. We will never be truly empty at any time. We will either be full of the Spirit of the Lord or we'll be full of some other spirit. Those were a few pages from chapter 8 in my book, Time for Transition. And I wanted to read those to just to point out some things that, uh, just like David, it may have seemed like things were taking too long. He was anointed king. He had the anointing on him. That already had taken place, but he was still out with the sheep out in the field. Then when finally the king calls him in, it wasn't to be trained as a king necessarily. It was to play his harp so that a distressing spirit could be driven away from Saul. That, I'm sure, was somewhat frustrated to David. It would have been frustrating to me, personally. That's just my wiring. I'm not saying it's good or bad. It's just who I am. Just like I I pointed out in my book, 12 years on a job that it should have been maybe two or three years at the most, if my head and heart would have been in the game. Thank God David stuck it out. Thank God that he worked with God, worked within the anointing, and worked with uh, Saul in the palace, because not only was he learning now how to transition from a shepherd to a king, but he was watching everything. He was listening to everything. He saw the good decisions Saul made and all the bad decisions Saul made, and he saw the repercussions. So David was very much being trained in the palace to rule a nation. Now, the reason, again, I point this out is because many of you listening to this podcast are in that same situation. You know you're called. You're called to great things. But the process is getting a little confusing and maybe frustrating because it might be taking a little bit longer than you expected or it might be taking a route that you never thought you'd be taking. And it may seem like you're getting further and further and further away from what you're really called to do and what you're called to be. But I want to encourage you, stay the course. Now, I'm not saying that you can't make course changes along the way, but stay the course in the sense of don't give up on your ultimate calling. And wherever you're at right now, look around and see, and you will find that you are actually being trained for the fullness of your calling. So imagine that you're called to be a multi-billionaire business owner, CEO of some business and multi-billionaire billion dollar corporation. And that's fantastic and fine, but you might be washing cars right now. What are you learning washing those cars? That's Remember, that's like David with the sheep. But what are you learning right now that's going to carry over when you're the CEO of that multi-billion dollar company? Uh, Among other things, what you're doing is you're learning how to deal with difficult people. Because When you're doing something in the service industry, people aren't always happy with you. So you're learning how to deal with difficult people. You're learning how to make difficult people happy. You're learning how to do a good job, even in an area that you may not like or appreciate at the moment. But you're learning these things. You're learning patience. You're learning how to be content. You're learning how to work with other coworkers that may be difficult to get along. You're learning how to work with bosses that may be difficult because you're going to have to work with people of all spectrums and across the board when you're CEO. It's not just you and a a few uh, billionaires in in a boardroom. It's going to be dealing with people at all levels, all walks of life, all so, so socioeconomic levels, I can say it, all religions, and you're going to have to know how to deal with them. And so do not take this time lightly. Learn what you need to learn. And please, 
Don't be like me. Don't take 12 years to learn three years worth of information. Learn it here. Learn it now. Now, in the story of Saul that we just read, God sent a distressing spirit to him. And a lot of Christians today, this is actually kind of funny in a way, but a lot of Christians have this idea that, you know, because God is love and we know that God is love, the Bible tells us God is love, that he would never, ever send a distressing spirit to anybody. So there must be a problem with the translation. There must be something wrong there. Uh, Let me tell you something. God is love, number one. But we've, again, I know I've said this before, but we've got to stop using the world's definition of love to try to describe our God. That's foolishness. We need to look at the word of Scripture. We need to look at the word of God to see how God acts, how he reacts, what he does, what he doesn't do, because all of that comes from himself, which is love. So when God sent a distressing spirit, that was out of love. And, and if, if anybody has a problem with that, well, no, that would never happen. I could show you in the New Testament where something similar happens. Let me pick up from my book. The idea of God sending someone a distressing spirit is found in the New Testament as well. This is what Paul did to a brother that refused to repent of sin. In 1 Corinthians 5, verse 4 and 5. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together along with my spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh that his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord Jesus. And 1 Timothy 1.20 says, Of whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I deliver to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. This is harsh, but loving. In both cases, the people in question were in danger of losing their salvation or may not have actually been saved at all. In both instances, until they repented, they were in a very real risk of going to hell. In verse 5 of 1 Corinthians 5, we see why this is a loving thing to do at times, that his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord Jesus. This is the last resort to get people saved. Often hardship causes people to see how much they need the Lord. God never would send a distressing spirit to someone unless it was the last resort after all options run out. And this happened with Saul, and David was the only one that can bring some relief. But look at Saul got so far away from the Lord that the anointing left him. Why? Because now David carried that same anointing as king. So the presence of Holy Spirit is on David to empower him to be the king. He is not functioning as king. Saul still is. But now Saul has this distressing spirit. And God set it up out of his great wisdom and his love to get David, who needed to be trained in the palace. So through this distressing spirit on Saul, David is now in the palace learning from King Saul. This is absolutely loving because of the overall ramifications. You see, again, a a lot of times we Christians, we look at the small picture. We look at Saul. Oh, poor Saul. Okay, so he messed up. How dare anybody give him a distressing spirit? But God looks at the big picture. God sees the entire nation of his people that need a good leader. And David was that good leader, but David wasn't prepared for it yet. And one of the ways to be prepared was to be trained in the palace, 
Well, Saul wasn't humble enough to go get David to raise him up to replace him. Remember, even Samuel knew that if Saul knew I'm going to go anoint the future king, he's going to kill me. He knew this and he was the premier prophet. How much more David, his replacement. So how did God work it in there? Out of his great love, send a distressing spirit to Saul so that Saul's servants can say, let's get David in here so when he plays the harp, he can drive that spirit away from you and give you some relief. Yes, do that. So David came and did exactly that. But he also got to learn and be trained as king right under the nose of Saul and even by Saul without even Saul knowing it. So that's the love of God. You know, it's funny. We know God by different compound names. Jehovah Shammah, Jehovah Rapha, Jehovah Nissi. One of the names of God that most people don't realize is Jehovah Sneaky. Now, I know I'm just having fun with it. I'm making that up. But our God sometimes sneaks things through out of his great love and his great wisdom. He's shrewd like that. He's awesome like that. And he got David right where he needed to be, right in the palace under Saul's nose. And Saul was training him whether he realized or not, even whether or not David knew it or not. So out of his great love for his overall people, the nation Israel, God worked it out so they had a great king. In 1 Samuel 16, 18, we read, Then one of the servants answered and said, Look, I have seen a son of Jesse the Bethlehemite, who is a skilled in playing, a mighty man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, and a handsome person, and the Lord is with him. It is interesting to note that David had not yet been in battle, nor had he ever had a position that these things could be recognized. Remember, he was not viewed as important enough to be invited to the party by his father. These servants of Saul were actually prophesying about David. Now, that might not seem like a big deal, but it is a big deal because what was interesting is when Saul was around the prophets, the spirit of prophecy came upon Saul and Saul began to prophesy. So it, so it seemed that whenever Paul was around the prophets, he could prophesy. It ignited that gift that was in him. Now remember, Saul did not practice that. He did not walk in it all the time. As a matter of fact, he got away from God, he even lost the anointing as king. So the presence of Holy Spirit had left Saul by this time and he had a distressing spirit. But his servants, his servants could prophesy. Now, the reason this is important is because what Saul would not do, his servants did. Again, one of the good things about Saul is he knew how to put good people around him. We started the story of Saul, the donkey hunter, where he had his servant who knew about Samuel, who was prepared to meet Samuel, was better prepared for the trip than Saul was. And this was a servant. And now we see these servants around Saul prophesying to him about David when it was Saul who originally in that setting carried the prophetic anointing. And now his servants are operating in that prophetic anointing. And I believe that one of the reasons why is because Saul wouldn't. Remember, Saul was giving up everything by his actions, by his lifestyle. He gave up the position as king. David, uh, it was given to David. He gave up his position in the prophetic. His servants take it. 
So this just points out even more how far Saul had fallen away and given up what was originally given to him by God. Imagine having a king, or let's put it in in a more modern sense. Imagine having a spirit-filled president that prophesies, knows the voice of God, not just not just knows about Bible or is just saved. That's good. Please, that's good. But it goes even further, knows God, knows the heart of God, knows the voice of God and can prophesy. How different would a nation be if they had a leader or a ruler that not was only saved, filled with the Holy Spirit, but could prophesy in the name of the Lord? And this is what Saul was supposed to be, but he gave it up. And as it turns out, yes, his servants became that prophetic voice, but later on, David became the prophetic prophesying king and even took it further, the prophesying king that worshiped God and had a heart after God. And I say we need some of those types of leaders, not only in our churches, of course, in our church, but also in uh, our White Houses and in our state capitals. I want to read just a couple more pages out of my book because I feel this is important, especially for the modern day. And, and the subtitle is called The Armor Bearer Syndrome. I want to address the armor bearer syndrome in the modern church today. To be blunt, this idea has been exploited and misused to the point of absurdity and often downright foolishness. This needs to be addressed because many are being used as nothing more than slaves for misguided leaders, all under the title of armor bearer. Armor bearers, biblically speaking, were the warriors that accompanied the king or other soldiers in battle. They were warriors themselves that had the responsibility to fight alongside another warrior, carrying extra armor and weapons of the warrior he was assigned to. As the armor bearers, they would also finish the job the soldier left behind. Imagine that a warrior with a sword in hand was hacking his way through the battlefield. He would not have time to make sure that everyone he struck with his sword was dead or completely incapacitated. So his armor bearer would come behind him and finish the job. So as the warrior is fighting and making his way through the enemy lines, the armor bearer would follow behind and make sure that the enemy was actually dead as he kept an eye on the weapons and the armor of the warrior. Does that sound like the modern day armor bearer? Of course not. The position of armor bearer was only relevant on the battlefield. What is pictured above looks nothing like the current armor bearer that many church leaders have around them. Today's armor bearers look more like a butler and sometimes a slave than a warrior in battle. Today's armor bearers are chauffeurs, personal assistants, and servants, not real armor bearers. It is sad, but we can find books and seminars geared at training people to be armor bearers, and in the end, no one walks away with armor or a sword. This is not only wrong, but false in its ideology and the theology behind it. This has to be made right in the church today. I personally know pastors that expect others to carry their Bible and sermon outlines to the pulpit. They also expect others to serve them food at the fellowships and to get their drink. I know some that expect others to pick up their dry cleaning, wash their car, take care of all of their needs. This is a disgusting abuse of people's time, energy, and faithfulness. Please do not misunderstand me. Some have a real gift of helps. 
that thrive when they help others, especially those in leadership. These persons should be employed to help in some of these areas, but it should never be demanded. Once it is demanded, it becomes witchcraft due to the manipulation that goes with it. A person that has a real gift of helps will do these things from a pure heart to help and not because he or she was manipulated into it. The control I have witnessed pastors using over people all in the name of armor bearer has been disgusting. I have seen marriages strained to the point of breaking, all because a pastor demands his armor bearer to be at his beck and call at all times. Usually that call comes while at the dinner table or when he should have been at his kid's game. If the armor bearer does not jump the moment the pastor calls, then he is blasted from the pulpit the following Sunday for being rebellious. Does this sound familiar? This has got to stop. This type of abuse is rampant in the church world today. When this kind of abuse is present in a church, it closes the door to a genuine gift of helps and replaces it with a culturally developed office of an armor bearer. By the way, no such office exists. The position of armor-bearer was never an office to be filled. It was a position occupied by a warrior for a warrior and for the battlefield, not a church leader for a church member to make the pastor look and feel important. Many reading this have a call of God upon them and their life, but have yet to fully step into the position they know they are anointed for. You may be asking why and how long. Many of you are like David, serving in the house of Saul. Be encouraged. You are being trained by the Sauls of today, the very ones you will be replacing. Some of you are frustrated because you know you have more than the people you are working for. You know that you are the one that drives out the darkness and replaces it with light. You may be responsible for the peace of God that fills your church because you are driving out the distressing spirit that have been plaguing the church leadership. Keep doing what you are called and anointed to do in this season. Remember, David carried the anointing to rule as king, but was found driving away a distressing spirit from the fallen king he was to replace. David remained faithful to Saul and the position he was entrusted with at the time. This you must do as well. You must stay true to the position you have been placed in until God removes you. You are being trained for something much bigger. And just as with David, I say that to you. It's the same thing. You are being trained for something bigger. And if you are called to be an armor bearer, a true armor bearer, your value will be fully recognized on the battlefield. Not serving tables, not grabbing the pastor a Coke, not carrying his briefcase, but on the battlefield. You will not only war and make war for your pastor and the leadership of your church, but you will do it standing alongside of them as they go to war. So it's more about spiritual warfare. A true armor bearer is more about spiritual warfare than waiting on tables or waiting on leadership. The the leadership of today, we don't need any more chauffeurs. We don't need any more bodyguards. We don't need anybody getting our laundry. We can do that ourselves. What we need Ladies and gentlemen, what we need, and fellow pastors, what you need is you need true armor bearers that will stand with you, lock arms on the battlefield, fight with you and alongside of you, not doing your work, but working with you. That's why I've said it before. I say it again. If you are a church leader and you don't have some uh, calluses, and I'll even take a little bit further. If you don't have any scars from, from previous war, 
then I don't even know that you're qualified. You certainly need to have some calluses on your hand. You certainly need to be a little rough around the edges. You certainly need to know how to wield a sword. And you certainly need to lock arms with good people around you who can wield the sword with you as well. And I would hate to think that these ones that should be your armor bearer only standing with you on a battlefield have to play the harp for you, so to speak, to drive this distressing spirit away from you. If that's the case, you've already lost the anointing and they already have it. Be a good fellow and just turn the church over to them. So David's get ready to rise up. Keep doing what you're doing, but get ready to rise up. Your time has almost come. Your time is almost here. God bless you all. Thank you for joining us here at Table Flippers. I would love to hear from you. You can find my contact information at www.gwcclancaster.org. That's gwcclancaster.org. Please let us know how we are doing. I look forward to hearing your thoughts and comments. Have a fantastic day.